It is awesome to watch our room after that. The introverts are like, please end this. The extroverts are like, where's one more person? Where's one more person? I got time. We're doing a series called Born This Way, and I thought I'd allow Barney Fife to introduce the subject for this morning. You got Barney Fife on the screen? Hey, yeah. <laughs> Man up. We, we called the series Born This Way to really address sexuality as it's being talked about. Uh, every commercial, it seems like, it's talked about um, in all different forums. And uh, today we want to talk about masculinity, and I thought Barney Fife would be a great representation of, <laughs> of where we're going. Thank you. Uh, I need you to take that down because everybody's staring at it, man. Take that down. <laughs> uh, we uh, called this thing Born This Way because we really wanted to get to a variety of topics that we're talking about in, in our culture. And I've, I've, last week we introduced a couple ideas, born into sin and made in the image of God. And there was parts of that that were hard to hear, I'm sure. I've thought all week that this might be the hardest message of all because uh, our culture is pushing back so hard against masculinity right now. And so some of the things I say might, I'm going to read them right out of the Bible, by the way. They might, they might just sound crazy that they're coming out of the Bible, that God said that. And so uh, I trust that uh, he will take these words and move on not just the men, but on all of us. We're going to get to femininity here in a couple Sundays, and we'll have some fun with that as well. Um, but look forward to talking to you with, uh, about these things. Let's, let's pray. Got all these notes, Lord. I feel kind of all amped up. I really want you to speak instead of me. So please do. Take uh, my feeble effort at putting some words out, and I'll take those words and... Help them make it through our ears and into our minds and eventually to our hearts. The only good things that will happen in this room this morning are because of you. So we trust you with this little bit of time we have together. You gave us your word. You said it's powerful. You said that it actually could cut all the way to the marrow. So pray that your word would cut, that work on us, and we'd be changed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So when you talk about a subject like masculinity, then you really do have to get back to the beginning, which is one of the reasons we call this series Born This Way. And the beginning is, uh, is up for debate, right? So some, some uh, in our culture believe that there was a creator, and some believe that we are here by chance. Both are faith systems. And I think that's the most honest way to talk about it. Yet these two faith systems, one is that we've evolved over time, and the other is that there was an original creator. Two different systems. Both, neither one of us can prove how it started. Because last I checked, there's no video. Like we can't go back and see video evidence. Uh, we, we argue for both of those through science. The great arguments. There's great, brilliant scientists on both sides of the, of the aisle on that, whether there was a creator or whether we're here by chance. We would say that we believe here at Radius, we believe that God created everything, and so we actually want to know what his design for everything was. But let's be clear, that we believe that by faith. So when we read that in Genesis, which is the first book of the Old Testament, we believe by faith that he's the creator. 
Now, for many of us, we'd say he's affirmed that in our hearts, like, like, and we've seen that through the centuries as, church, as churches have preached that message that folks have believed over the course of history. But it is a hotly debated topic, if you hadn't noticed. It's been debated for a long, long time because the implications of him being the creator actually impact almost everything we do. And so if you've chosen to believe that he's not the creator and that we evolved, then a lot of this will not apply. If you've chosen to believe that he is the creator, then it applies. Um, If he created us, then he created the owner's manual. And when things get off track, you go to the owner's manual to see what the owner's manual said, and then you reset the car. Anybody had this happen lately? These newfangled cars. Cheryl just, we got her a 2018 Honda Odyssey. Oh, I can't figure half of that thing. Not 2001 Suburban. I got that. I mean, all the lights are on the dash. Nothing works, so I know how to work that, right? Like, I know to open the door, you got to roll the window up halfway and then pull the handle, and then it'll open. I know how to work that. That's not in the owner's manual. Cheryl's, now we don't want to screw it up, so you got to read the owner's manual just to figure out how it works. Our owner's manual would be the scripture. God actually gave us his word with his authority in the same way that he created you and me and this planet and the solar system and the galaxies. Um, he gave us this, this owner's manual. And now the question is, will we submit to him and it as the creator? So on subjects like sexuality, it gets pretty intense because he's really clear on what he designed us for. And so when we want to redefine the design, we have to push back against the creator. Now you take creator out, then you're not pushing back against design, right? So the first question before we can go anywhere is, do you believe? Do you believe if you believe in Jesus Um, that Jesus died on the cross for you, you have to believe in the creator. Like It it makes absolutely no sense to believe in Jesus as a man who walked this earth as all God, all man who died on the cross for our sins, not to believe in the creator. So they kind of come as a package deal. (laughs) Because how could he save a group of people that he didn't create? That just evolved. And then he would have had to evolve somewhere. How, how, how did all this go, go down? It, it, it's an either-or proposition. And I'm going to assume, for the sake of this conversation, that you believe that he's the creator. And if not, I, well, we'd love to talk. Like, we, we could have a conversation. That, that, that's a, the first step. Last week, we established that we believe in Genesis, that he made us in the image of God, made human beings, in his own image. And we actually deeply connected the fact that he made us male and female in his own image. And then we learned the hard fact that we fell, men and women in in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3, rebelled against God. We call it the fall. And we grieved some. We learned that we were born into sin. Let me just remind you, men and women in the room, males and females, like this was created beautiful. Like, like all the conversation and confusion today is because we were born into sin. But the owner's manual says this, this male and this female were created in a most miraculous, beautiful way, right? 
I read somewhere that men are twice as strong as women. Twice as strong. Now, some of y'all are like, well, I'll kick your tail right now. I know, I know. I'm just average, right? Like, but but on, the strongest man is twice as strong as the, the, the strongest woman. It's, that's just facts. That's just biology. And it doesn't take but a second to look around and say the women are more than twice as beautiful as the men in this room. Y'all look just so plain. What's wrong with us? We're just plain. And yet there's this battle going on in our, in our country right now to redefine those two things. But it, like we're twice as strong and twice as beautiful. Like That's how God designed it. He designed those, those two to complement, to bring him glory. And actually, as we read last week, he being the triune God created us to need each other. And to take our great gifts that he trusted us with, with the beauty of his creation, and put them together for the good of the earth and for his glory. So, the very first words, fellas. By the way, ladies, you don't need to sharpen your elbows for the next two Sundays, right? Like, you don't have to do this the whole time. I can see you. It's embarrassing. Don't do that to your husband. And please don't do this. Don't lean over and say, oh, baby, it's okay. Don't say that. Like, don't baby him right now. Like, he's a man. He can handle it. Don't elbow him either way. Like, don't go either way. <laughs> right out of the gate, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebel against God. We'll read that part of the passage here in just a minute. And then they hide. God shows up on the scene as if he doesn't know what happened. And what does he say to Adam? Where are you? He walks into the garden. I wish I had, I got a pretty low voice. I wish I could put a God voice on it, men in the room. Like, God walks in the garden. Adam and Eve are hiding, and he says to the man, the Bible says, where are you? I can imagine Adam, like the hair on the back of his neck. They didn't have barbers back then. Like the hair on the back of his neck just standing straight up as God speaks specifically to the man, where are you? And Adam knows what just happened, and he knows it was his responsibility. Genesis chapter 3, I'll read a little bit of it to you. I hate this phrase. Normally, I like cool evening breezes. But the way the NLT, I've read this over and over through the years, you just read it, and you know what's about to come, and you're like, ugh. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God was walking in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? Who did he call out to? The man. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You know how you want to just like talk like Adam would? I heard you walking in in the garden, and, and I was afraid. Because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the ladies get ready to say amen. The man replied, it was the woman who gave me and gave me that fruit. And I ate it. It was her fault. (laughs) Verse 13, the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. It was Pinterest. It was, it was, it was, it was, sorry, ladies, y'all, y'all got a couple weeks left. Uh, she replied, that's why I ate it. 
I don't know where that came from, baby. That just slipped. Sorry. <laughs> That's not in my notes. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, Adam and Eve sin against God. He confronts them on it, and there's a curse laid down. It's hard to read for ladies that have had children. You know all about this curse. He says that he would sharpen your pain in pregnancy. Epidurals help a little bit. Best I can tell, they ain't solved the problem yet, right? <laughs> I'm going to get some amens in this series. I like it. Uh, so I, I don't know if you're picking up on it, but everything got hard after the fall. Pregnancy got hard the whole nine months. The birth itself got hard. And then he says to the women as a part of the, as, as a, to the woman as a part of the curse, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. All of a sudden, marriage got hard. It wasn't hard. There was no need to state that the man was the head in a rulership kind of way because it wasn't hard. There was this great, easy, complimentary relationship between male and female. And now it's going to be hard. For that matter, relationships got hard because there was sin introduced in where all the innocence was gone. So relationships in general got hard. All in that one terrible day. Then he says to the man, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree, the ground's going to get hard. That's when red dirt was created. I'm confident, <laughs> right? Like, Man, we, we dug a French drain the other day. I was so glad my two sons were home. Like, y'all dig, I'll go get the gravel, right? Like, it's a, the, the dirt's just hard and work got hard and and it, what was wonderful work, which was wonderful, which, man, we were designed to work based on the Genesis account, it was, and it was a thrill to work, it got hard. So just in one moment, one moment where we assume the place of God and put him <laughs> as an equal to us, a decision made by Adam and Eve in the garden, all of a sudden our lives went from this great peace to being hard. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorites, says this, God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. He created us male and female. So what do we do? We start worshiping the female body. What do you think the porn industry got its start? We start worshiping the strength of the men. We could go down the list. We start worshiping the intercourse between the male and the female. And then we try to experiment with it all sorts of ways because it is the center and God is not in everything. It's topsy-turvy. We start worshiping the sun. You don't have to read history long. We start worshiping the moon. Not the creator, the created. We start worshiping specific animals. You go back through it, the Egyptian history, you see these animals that were worshipped. We start worshiping the rocks. Ask the people that ran out to California on, in the gold rush. <laughs> just trying to dig up rocks, just gold ones, right? Some of us still worshiping them. They become center, and it steals and screws up a design where we were all designed as men to hold God high. And we held something else high, and everything... It's shaken. 
off its moorings. Here's one of those verses I, I uh, wanted to read, but let me just start by saying you can't read these passages, man, and not say it's your fault. Our fault. I'm one of us. So when God looks in the garden and says, where are you? When he speaks to the man, he says, where are you? What's he saying? It's your fault. Every man in the room, say it with me. Boys, you can say it with me too. It's my fault. One, two, three. Ready? It's my fault. That was weak. <laughs> that was weak. Like, I'm telling you what God said. It's your fault. Say it with me. It's my fault. Ladies, you heard it. Like, you can hold them to it right there. It's uh, a really, really hard thing to say. Because before I say it's my fault, I want to say, how's it my fault? I wasn't there. That's Adam. That ain't me. Romans 5 says, nah, you would have done the same thing. We talked about last week. If Wendy's was the restaurant you couldn't eat at, eventually you'd have to have that chocolate shake, right? Like you'd have to go have that frosty. You would have done the same. Why? Why? Why is it my fault? Well, we can look straight at the scriptures and it'll tell you that God meant, according to Genesis, and he'll say it again right here in 1 Corinthians. He gave you the responsibility. It's an interesting verse. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, the early church has started. So this is a letter written to one of the churches in a town called Corinth. And ladies, so you know, the early church was known for promoting women. Like they were set out in the culture for moving women's station from being lower to being equal. It's undeniable. You read the history books, the church of Jesus Christ changed your status because of Jesus, because of his example. So as they move women toward equality, then they're starting to have these disruptions in the church. Like, well, we can't get her to shut up. I can't say anything, right? Like, because she's got freedom all of a sudden, which is, which is beautiful. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and just reminds us that there were these roles established from the beginning. And you might read this when I read this, ladies, like, I can't believe you said that. Paul wrote it. I didn't write it. But then secondly, I, when I read it, I'm like, that's a lot of responsibility, Lord. It's all my fault. Here's our, Let me read it to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And that man is the head of a woman. I put it in the New American Standard because it puts that little word. It's, it's accurate. A woman. I want to see one of you dudes tell Cheryl what to do here in just a second. Like, see how that goes for you, right? <laughs> a man is the head of a woman, so I'm responsible for Cheryl. That's my responsibility. And God is the head of Christ. Man, in our world, that's a crazy, crazy boy verse. In context of chapter 11, he's dealing with this issue of male and female in the church as the church has promoted women to equality, he's saying this is how it's going to work in the church. This is Paul's teaching them how this is going to work with this outlier group of people, the church in all of society that promote ladies to their highest status, which is equality. But when I read it and it says man is the head of a woman, <laughs> that means it's my fault. So you can be jealous of it if you want to, ladies, and go, that, that ain't right. But on the flip side, for those of us in, in the room that are men, there's this constant battle as it was for Adam to want to give up that responsibility 
and be passive and just let things happen. And I must say, as a group, man, that's what we're known for, being passive, sticking our head in the sand, hoping somebody else is going to figure it out. Genesis chapter 2, just so you know that this was established even before the fall, even before there was a doctrine of sin, there was no sin, right? <laughs> there, there was no nakedness. You notice all of a sudden nakedness became a thing. There was no nakedness until the fall. I just like saying that word. Evidently, I have a unique translation of that word. <laughs> uh, so creation, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. There's no lady yet. In a minute, we'll get to this in a couple weeks, he's going to create Eve out of Adam. But right now, there is no lady, and he creates man. He says, I want you to tend it and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Did Eve hear that? No, she wasn't there yet. Who heard that? Who was supposed to pass it on? Whose fault was it? Pretty cool little line. NLT uses tend and watch over. So this garden, this beautiful garden, he says to the man, tend it and watch over it. New American Standard says cultivate it and keep it. Tend, cultivate the things around us, fellas, are supposed to flourish. You're supposed to be like fertilizer put into humankind. Like the things around you are supposed to benefit because you're there. What's your office like? Because you're there. Right? What's your house like? Because you're there. Some of y'all been married for a long time. What does your wife look like? Don't answer that out loud. Like, 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 I'm not talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about is she flourishing? Is she in a better place than she was when you met? I do this in premarital, so I have rough premarital counsel. She's supposed to look better in 50 years than she does right now. And the dude's like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, based on the math of 50 years, and, and I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, like, we only look great for a little while, right? Like, and then all that goes away. Not all of it. Most of it goes away. Like some of it goes away. A little bit of it goes away, right? Like it's a, it, it, that's what happens. But are they flourishing? Does your wife have a ministry? Do your kids look like they're standing on stable ground? He says it's our job to tend it, to cultivate it. I would assume that means that you have to care for it and love it and be tender at times. He says to watch it, to keep it, protect it. You get a picture of, uh, of the night guard watching out for everybody else, making sure they're safe. So dad's in the room. Let's rate your kids right now, zero to ten. They, they in a good spot. Like, I don't know, that's her job. <laughs> no, no that, that ain't what it says. It says your fault. So there are two what you going to do about it? Like, let's do it today. You got the mute? Text them right now. Now, nah, stay with me for a minute. Text them in like 20 minutes. Like, 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 it's our job. So our room is, is uh, full of both married and single men, full of both married and single women. That has been true of the church throughout its history. One not better than the other. It would be really clear. 
married and single, one's not better than the other. At times in the church, we've actually elevated marriage to the point where we make single folks feel less than. That, that, that couldn't be more than opposite of what the Bible says. Paul actually says, hey, this mission is so great, I prefer you stay single so you could be locked in with God and get it done. I won't really argue with the scriptures on it, right? Jesus was a single dude. No pressure, single folks, but you got, you got a lot on your plate. Like, so, like, we're not elevating one more than another, but today as a married man with a, six kids and a few grandkids, I'm going to speak like that. Next week we're going to address it more as a single man. Both valid ways to live this life. So most of history, the definition of man has swayed either one way or the other. The ancient man, if you read history, was elevated because he was hard and fierce. All the legends were of hard, fierce men. You might even want to call them barbarians at times for the way they took life. And what were women for? Right. That's what they were for. They would take and take and take. They take other people's lives and they take women. I couldn't help but think of porn when I read about barbarians and the way they're takers. Now, they, now we can take without anybody knowing. But it's barbaric. If you know the stats, those women are dying. So there's some good and some bad. There's some good in the ancient man. He was hard. He handled his business. He's often driven. He would take risk. And we should learn from the ancient man. And then we swing. We swing to the modern man. And he's soft. He can be tender. You might call him a wimp. I call the other group barbarians. Don't get offended. Like, at times he won't handle his business. At times he just, he, he whines about life. He kind of swing from one to the other. It seems like culture swing from one to the other. C.S. Lewis actually says that it's a 500-year span. The hard, ancient man, he comes and establishes a, a, a culture. Like, he, he'll come in, and you wonder about, are we on the clock in the United States? There's this first group of men that'll cut new land. They're rough. They, they do a bunch of things that are outside the rules, but they get a ton done. They're disciplined. They create a society. And then over the course of time, the modern man kind of cleans up what the ancient men started. And at about 500 years, some more ancient men come and take over and restart it. I don't know, man. I think we're on the clock. <laughs> right? Didn't people start getting here in the 1600s or something? Martin Luther King Jr. says it like this. Martin Luther King Jr., quote, monster, right? A nation or civilization that continues to produce soft-minded men purchases its own spiritual death on an installment plan. So ancient man, modern man, well, they both offer some really good things for the Christian man. And I will go ahead and tell you right now, like, uh, we're not supposed to fit in either category because we got a king, his name's Jesus, and we're supposed to be like him. The ancient man would, uh, like if you, if you read the history books, they would fairly quickly in a young boy's life separate him from his mama. We need a little bit more of that, wouldn't you say? <laughs> like our boys are a little too connected to the mamas in our culture. You would have to assume that the United States, we're leaning modern right now. 
that we could swing a little bit toward. I remember my boys, they would drive to camp. It's three and a half hours. They come back and be like, Dad, my friends think you're crazy. For what? They're like, because you let me drive to camp. I didn't want to drive you. That's a long ways. That'll take me seven hours there and back. Why would I drive you? You could drive yourself. They're like, Dad, you're crazy. Nobody does that around here. Like, what you talking about? Like, you can't get away from your mama. Dad's in the room. That's your job. Like, you actually have to push back against fear. The early, the ancient man uh, wanted some adventure. So he wanted to go do some stuff. He wanted to take a risk here and there, not for no purpose. Our boys went and worked at a cannery in Alaska one summer. It was awesome. I told him, hey, so the way it worked at the cannery, if you, if you didn't work hard, you got cut after a month, and they cut the whole summer. I'm like, you better not come home early. <laughs> Why? Because I'm teaching them how to be a man. Dad's in the room. We need you. We need you to demand more from your sons. We need them to want to go on the adventure and stay in the adventure and not quit in the adventure. It takes a man to teach a man. We got single moms in the room that knock it out of the park. And so you, men in the room, like we're supposed to help them. We're supposed to be that voice at times. The ancient man would want the boy to be wounded at some point. How you like that, ladies? Like want the, the, this one over here, <laughs> she was okay with the wounds at times. Like, I still remember JT falling and bleeding because he's being disobedient, and she stepped over him and kept walking. Like, I don't know what she's all about. <laughs> Look down at him as she stepped over him. I'm like, man, I can see that on the NFL this week. <laughs> that, was, that was nice. And then they were welcomed into this fraternity of men. So th there was some good to the ancient man. But then there was some awful. I could tell you some of the stories I read this week of wanting to kill people in ways so they could hear them scream. Awful, the ancient man. The modern man has its same strengths. Be able to talk to all sorts of people. To uh, be able to invest in children and see children for their beauty and innocence. The modern man can speak to a woman and be able to listen in conversation and serve a lady as an equal. All great qualities. And yet, as we look at the modern man's effect on our country, you wonder, man, if somebody comes and wants to take this, we're going to need somebody with more than thumbs to get it done, right? I saw a T-shirt about this, about this week. I can't remember what it was. It was a little funny. Just to be clear, Jesus was all of both of those, not half and half. He wasn't like in the middle where the pendulum meets. He was all man. He, he was like the ancient man. You remember when he comes in the temple and throws everybody out, swinging a whip? Who knows what he's hollering? All I know is everybody left. Grown men that own the place, they're out of here, leaving their money on the table. You know you're scared when you leave your money on the table. And you run out the door. When the Pharisees rolled up, Jesus had some words for them that were direct, derogatory, and got right to their souls. His own boy, Peter, says something stupid. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. That's a sweet man. 
At the same time, he's known for wanting to be with the children. Constantly having conversations with ladies in the way that no other man in that culture could. He was all ancient man and all modern man. He wasn't half. He didn't meet in the middle. He wasn't a little bit of both. He was a man. He took responsibility. He was able to distribute both affection and discipline. And he's our model. Let me read you one passage that Paul writes on this topic. I I love this. I read it this week, really for the first time, paying attention to it. It's chapter 10. Man, I don't have enough time today, baby. Anyway, here we go. When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He's talking to this church in Corinth. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come back with, uh, with the other believers. It's, I think it's beautiful. Here's Timothy, godly young man, and Paul speaking to the pe- people in Corinth. Say, hey, take it easy on him. He seems to be soft, godly, deep, rich in his walk with the Lord. You can't help but read that in other passages. Timothy seems to be soft. And Paul directs his conversation. Hey, take care of him. Take it easy on him. Next verse. Now, about our brother Apollos, other, other end. I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He'll see you later when he has the opportunity. So Paul, the apostle, the guy like the man in charge, he tells Apollos, hey, I want you to go visit the, the folks over there in Corinth. And Paul says, nah, I'm busy. I ain't going. <laughs> that's, that's the flip side. He tells Timothy to go, and he tells the Corinthians to take care of him. He tells Apollos to go, and Paul's like, I, I got stuff to do. I, I'm going to take care of this for a while, and he just kind of stands his ground. Two totally different kinds of men, both tremendously effective for the kingdom of God. Both trying to be like Jesus, both hard and soft, and yet they erred one way or the other, but tremendously effective for the cause of Jesus. So we, we got all that in this room, room for all of that. And then he says this to the Corinthians. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous. The original language says, act like men, be strong, and do everything with love. I love it. Bullet points. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. And you have to assume it's written to men and that the original language would say, act like men. You wouldn't say it to a lady, act like a man. Let's just look at, just for our last couple minutes, what's that look like? Be on your guard. We already said, watch it, keep it, protect it. I had about, I don't know how many meetings with different dudes this week. It's a really fun week. That's, that's what I enjoy doing. And I got to see these things in action. I sat with a 40-year-old guy this week. I'll just go by ages. We'll keep all that blank who, who it was. And he's trying to guard his family against the tide in Lexington that says you got to have lots of stuff. He says you got to have lots of stuff, and if you don't have lots of stuff, then you're not a good dad. Best I can tell, a lot of these people that have lots of stuff, they ain't good dads. So it might not be the stuff that makes you a good dad. So it might be healthier not to throw the birthday party. If you don't have the money, don't throw the birthday party. If Junior can't go without the birthday party, he probably needs to go without the birthday party <laughs> so he can learn to go without the birthday party, right? 
If we can't afford vacation, then we don't go on vacation. Well, that's hard. Everybody's going on vacation. My kids are hearing other people call about vacation. Then we have to build a culture that says, hey, this is what we do. And that's my job. It's my job to push back against the car culture, to be on guard. He says in the next part, to stand firm in my faith. That's strong. He wants me to dig in. If everything's moving this way, then what you're convinced is true, dig in, put your feet down on it, and don't be moved. As a dad and as a husband, I'm supposed to have a vision for my family. What color wall is going to be painted? I don't care. Like, what the house? I don't. Cheryl makes 90% of the decisions I have. But when it comes to vision, I got to know who we are and where we're trying to go. And she's got to know it. Adam in the garden, it was clear. You need to cultivate it and watch it. And sure enough, don't eat of the tree. So if I'm going to protect my family and, and actually stand strong, then I, dudes in the room, we got to have some kind of view on sexuality. But what are our kids going to hear? Might mean you have to read a little bit. Podcast if you want. I'm good with that. Like, but, but you got to take responsibility. You got to know. And stand firm. I sat with a, a new believer here this week in his 40s. Brand new. Just met Jesus. And he's like, man, you, you really need to hang out with Jesus every day. <laughs> Darn straight. That's great. He's like, I mean, because you kind of lose your way if you don't spend some time in the Word every day. He's already learning to stand firm in faith. It takes time, a daily time with the Lord. And then he's talking about a family that's really struggling because of who he has been. He's like, man... If, when I do that, it changes my family. It impacts that vision that I hope that I have for my family. It says, be courageous. Be like a man. I got to sit with a guy in the 60s this week. He's going to start his first Bible study ever. That's courage. That's courage. I got to <laughs> I was sitting at the covers, and a guy in the 30s came up. I don't know if y'all were here a couple weeks ago. We had like three minutes on money, and it made everybody nervous. It's crazy how money makes people nervous. <laughs> and he came up to me. He goes, man, you need to talk about that more. I'm like, seriously? I don't think anybody else wants to. He goes, yeah, I need a reminder. I need a reminder. I want to be a man. I want to be generous. It takes a man to be generous, right? Ladies, I'm not leaving you out on this. I'm just trying to push the dudes. Go give me a second, all right? Like it, it takes courage to give up your stuff so somebody else can have it. I sat with a 20-year-old in a coffee shop. What is it about 20-year-olds want to meet in a coffee shop? Like, let's, let's get something to eat. Um, but he was asking questions because he wanted to dedicate his life to serving the Lord. He was thinking about doing what I do. He wanted to hear what I had to say. It was cool. Be strong. There's a 20-something right here at church. I saw another family driving his truck. That's what I'm talking about. That's strong. He's sharing. He's sharing his stuff. I don't think he gave it. He's sharing it, right? He's sharing it. Sat with a 70-year-old the other day. I mean, you learn so much in those moments at a table, but still striving to see other folks following Jesus. And quit. Not time to retire yet. Can't retire from this one. Then he says, do everything with love. I don't have time. We'll have to try to catch it maybe next week. But 
It's part of my job to pursue. It's part of my job to pursue Cheryl. It's part of my job to pursue my children. It's part of my job to pursue the people in my radius so they could flourish with love. Ephesians 5 speaks it clearly. I got to sit with a different 20-year-old. He would say I was talking about courage, but he has this little girl he's interested in. I'm like, bro, you got to. I hadn't given Dayton advice in a long time, and I'm like, man, you, you got to say something. She ain't never going to know. But he wanted to embrace that. I met with another 20-year-old this week who loves his wife. They've got a couple kids, and he just wants to learn how to follow Jesus. He wanted some of my time. That's what it looks like to be a man. Goodness, I'm out of time. Let me quit with this. About 2,000 years ago, there was a second man. I don't have time to read the passage. His name was Jesus. Not Adam, Jesus. And God said to Jesus, where are you? What did Jesus say? Right here. Let's get it done. I ain't running away. I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to stand right there in the gap for all those folks. John actually reads, they come to arrest Jesus. And this mob of men walk up to him, and they say they're looking for Jesus. Jesus ain't wearing camo. He's just standing right there in front of them for whatever reason. They can't figure it out. And they go, where's Jesus of Nazareth? He goes, I'm right here. I got a job to do. They ask him again. I always wonder this when I'm reading it, John. They ask him again, where's Jesus of Nazareth? He goes, I wonder if he shouted, I'm right here. And they all fall down. You read the passage. They fall down. I don't know if he, like, flashed his deity, like, you know, like his Superman cat. He flashed his deity. All the dudes fall down on the ground. He shows his power, and yet he's going to be obedient. He doesn't have to stay there. They're on the ground. He can slip out right now. He could have slit their throat. Instead, closes it back up. He says, I'm here. I'm going to get to the cross, and I'm going to win the victory by being obedient to God all the way to the end, so I could solve the sin problem, the, the future eternal death problem for all mankind. Man, if you want somebody to look at that looks like a man, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was a man all the way to the finish. Jesus, we love you. Speak for the men in the room. Lord, we want to be men. We want to be strong and courageous. We want to live with conviction and still be able to do that with love. You are the ultimate model. We hold you high. We call you great. Help us be like you. Even as we remember your most violent act, that act on the cross where you defeated sin. We want to be like you. We want to be willing to lay down our lives. Help us. Lord, we as men in the room, we want to honor you for that death right now. As we do, Lord, meet us in this room. As we take that bread and juice, Lord, help us actually really think of ourselves following you into that death and move us to worship. Thank you for making us male and female. It's a beautiful thing, Lord. Thank you for the, the differences between us and the things that we have that are alike. You're a great creator. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.